What does the Bible say about curse words? It's the Cross Culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. But even though the world is anxious, even though the world is fearful, even though the world is uncertain, even though the world may be wondering if the world is coming to an end, the world is not looking for the return of Jesus. Earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, and tornadoes. Because of the access that the world has to media today, events like these and their effects are almost commonplace. We see the results of these types of events and we think it couldn't possibly get any worse. But the Bible describes a time that will be worse, a lot worse. The day will come when the most expensive piece of real estate in the whole world will be a hole in the ground because men will seek to hide from the presence of God. I'm Rick Freeman, welcoming you to another Crosswalk message. We're in the middle of our series on the end times entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow. In this series, based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Pastor Clay has already walked us through what Jesus had to say about the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs that will point to the end times. Today, we're moving into the section of Matthew 24 where Jesus begins to describe the signs of His return at the end of the age. And quite frankly, some of those events will make earthquakes and other such events seem insignificant compared to what will happen. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The return of Jesus Christ to earth to establish His earthly kingdom has been written about in both the Old and New Testaments. It will be a wonderful time of victory for those who have chosen Him. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain, for rebellious men and women, the end will not be something to look forward to. We're so glad you've joined us. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's teaching. I've mentioned several times in this series already that uh, the world uh, is a, a very nervous place right now. I've said this on a number of occasions. If you've been coming, you've heard me say this. Uh, perhaps you agree with me. Maybe you don't. But um, in my lifetime, I can't remember the world being more anxious, uh, more uncertain, more fearful than it appears to be today. The world is looking for answers. The world is looking for hope. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of questions being asked about what's going to happen or, or what's going down or, or what does all this stuff mean. So the world is a very nervous place. Now, Hollywood, I think, has certainly uh, done their fair share to uh, kind of encourage this idea with all of the, uh, uh, you know, alien attack movies and earthquakes and volcanoes and, you know, apocalyptic-themed uh, movies that seem to have come out in the last couple of years. Governments are falling. Economies are crumbling. Terrorists are attacking. Fears are rising. Confidence is sinking. It's, it's a crazy time. I'm telling you, it's a crazy time. And I don't know if you agree with me about that or not. But it's a cra- People are storing up stuff. 
Maybe you are. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very anxious time in the world. And I think that the world, meaning the, just the, the atmosphere of, of the world in general, recognizes that it's an anxious time in the world. They, they, I think there's a sense that, that people realize that something is going on. And the question of whether the world is coming to an end or not is being asked. But even though the world is anxious, even though the world is fearful, even though the world is uncertain, even though the world may be wondering if the world is coming to an end, the world, meaning just, again, just the world system, the world at large, the world is not looking for the return of Jesus. They're not. Uh, Other than a a few uh, late night comedians making jokes about it, by and large, the world is not looking for the return of Jesus. And, it, and if you think about it, now if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, you know, this, this stuff you know, makes perfect sense to you. But if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, if this whole you know, Jesus thing or God thing, if, it, if it's all kind of uh, new to you, I mean, like, let's, can we be honest? We're talking about a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. He was put to death but he came back to life three days later. He went up into heaven, and in, in his timing, he's going to come back physically, bodily, and establish a kingdom on earth. Now, come on. <laughs> if you're not a follower of Jesus, <laughs> you're thinking, baby, it's a straitjacket time for anybody that believes that. Right? Come on. Right? I mean, we're right up there with that guy. Remember the guy a few years ago that said that the spaceship was hiding behind the moon waiting to come get him and his whole group? And I mean, right? I mean, they, they believe that? What? Now, you and I know that there, uh, there is mountains of evidence, empirical evidence that supports our belief in God our, our belief in uh, God's word, our belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of tangible, credible, physical, empirical evidence to support that belief. But if you've never heard that stuff or if you've never examined that evidence, you're thinking, <laughs> nurse, <laughs> nurse. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is, would you say that word with me? Foolishness. The word of the cross, the message of the cross. Uh, a guy died on a cross for your sins. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It, it makes perfect sense to us. We understand it. It, it, it. In the same chapter, in verse uh, 22, I think it is, he said this. Verse 23, sorry. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block. The, the Jews stumbled over that idea because the Christ or the Messiah, that they couldn't conceive that he would have to die. They knew he was going to come. They knew he would rule and reign. And they couldn't conceive that he would die. So for them, that was a stumbling block. But to Gentiles, to non-Jews, what is that word again? Foolishness. Foolishness. And then in chapter 2. Verse 14, but a natural man, 
meaning a person that does not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, one more time, foolishness. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned, or you receive them through the Spirit of God. So apart from that, when you begin to talk about, oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. When you talk about that to a person, it's very strange language to them. But nevertheless, we believe that he is coming back. We're in this series. We're walking through Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Most of you know that. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is where Jesus specifically talks about events in the end times. We've already dealt with the question of when the, the, the temple, the city of Jerusalem and the temple and really the nation of Israel would be destroyed. We know that occurred in 70 AD. Last week, we dealt with the question of the signs that would be coming, that, that disciples asked about, the signs that would indicate the end of the age or when we were moving towards the end of the age. And we actually took several weeks to deal uh, with that uh, part of the passage. Last week, we, we, we kind of uh, finished up with that idea of, of that. Today, we deal with the question of the signs of the return of Jesus. Now, you could say, well, all, everything that we've looked at is, is signs leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. That, that's absolutely true. All of them are indicators. When we look at those things, we can say, wow, we can see some things happening like that. We must be getting, must be getting closer. All of those things uh, would be indicators, and they point to that. But what we're dealing with today, the passage we're dealing with today, is referring specifically to the precise moment And there will be a precise moment, ladies and gentlemen. The precise moment when Jesus Christ will bodily return to earth and establish his kingdom. Everything has been leading up to that. But today he gives some signs about that exact moment when Christ returns. And remember, when when we're dealing here in Matthew 24 and 25. But when when we're dealing with the return of Jesus here, we're talking about his return to earth to establish his kingdom on earth. That is different from his return for his church. If I'm right about my understanding of the end times, that event will occur seven years before these events that we talked about last week and, and today. That, that Christ's return to call his church, his bride, as scripture sometimes refers to us, to call us up to meet him in the air, then this great tribulation period that we talked about last week and, and the rise of the Antichrist and all of that that we saw so much in the book of Revelation when we walked through that. And then the physical bodily return of Jesus Christ to earth. So we're in Matthew chapter 24 today and we're beginning in verse 29 and we're reading just down through verse 35. But if you think about it, before I read that text, let me just say this. If you think about it, um, this, this return of Christ, it's, it's not, it shouldn't surprise us that the world, by and large, isn't looking for this. They may be looking for answers. They may be looking for, for hope. They may be looking for some security. But they're not looking for this, not for his return. Matthew 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation 
of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender... And puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away But my words will not pass away. You pray with me this morning. Father, as we uh, delve a little deeper into this passage of Scripture today, uh, there's a lot to discuss. There's a a lot that, uh, that we could think about. And it's just a lot, Lord God. So I continue to pray for discernment for myself and for each person that would hear this message or would read your word, that you would reveal your truth to us and that we would understand what you would have us to know. You don't tell us every single thing that we might want to know, Lord God. That's not your purpose in giving us your word. But you give us enough, you show us enough to know that your word is true and that we can look to your word for direction for guidance, for wisdom, and for the answers that we need for our lives today with anticipation of what is to come in, in the future. I do pray uh, for each person that's here. I really am grateful each time people come in, whether they're the faithful that come here week after week after week or whether they're people walking through the doors for the very first time or, or fairly new, I, I truly am grateful, Lord God. Because you've given me a burden to communicate your word, and I want to do that in a way that is effective in people's hearts and lives. I do want people to get it, Lord God. I want them to understand. And so, would you fill us with your wisdom and knowledge? Help us to make application of an event that clearly is future. Help us to understand how it can and should affect our now and what it does mean for the future. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 35. Jesus is going on through this discourse. He's going on and talking about these things that are going to occur. He's doing this as a result of some questions that his disciples have asked him having to do with the end times and things that were going to transpire. In verses 29 through 35 this morning, I just want to share a few ideas from that passage of Scripture for you to to get a hold of. And the first one looks like this. Jesus' return will be unmistakable to all. Again, we're going to look at verse 29 and and 30. 
But immediately after, immediately after the tribulation of those days, we talked about it last week, this great tribulation period that is coming upon the earth. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heaven will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. But immediately after the tribulation of those days. We're talking about the, the, the great tribulation period that we have gone through, all these events that have occurred. And Jesus, after walking through those things, begins to explain to his disciples this, this event that actually leads, that is the moment when he comes down and reappears to the world. And it is unmistakable. I said, a lot of people are like, I don't know what's going on today. I don't know what's happening. What do you think is this and what do you think is that? When Christ returns, apparently there, there won't be any questions. There won't be any doubt. There won't be that his return will be unmistakable. And everybody will know that Christ is returning. This uh, language that he uses here, I mean... Talk about a guy that knows how to make an entrance. Jesus begins to talk about things like the, the sun and the moon going dark and the, and the stars falling from the sky. It's, a, it's language that has been used throughout the Old Testament. See, this return of Jesus, folks, this has been promised pretty much since day one. That this has been God's established plan and that it would culminate with the retur- bodily return of God in the flesh to establish his kingdom. But throughout the Old Testament, this, this language has been used. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. Isaiah 34, 4. Ezekiel 32, 7. Joel chapter 2 and verse 10. Joel chapter 2 and verse 31. Joel chapter 3 and verse 15, Amos chapter 5, verse 20, Amos chapter 8, verse 9, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15. All of these verses use this language of, of this, the sun being darkened and the moon and the stars falling from the sky as a description of this, this spectacularly unmistakable return. Jesus kind of started this in verse 27, and he's just continuing on with this idea that this, this event is coming and nobody's going to miss it. Nobody that's living during that time is going to miss it. Now, I will say this. There's been, there's been a lot of attempts to try and explain or, or allegorize verse 29. With this, this talk about the, uh, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. There's been a lot of attempts to, well, you know, maybe that means this or, or, or maybe that means that or, or whatever else. And, and I'll say that, that you could look at the text and say, well... Um, perhaps what it's saying is, is that because the tribulation period will be such a traumatic time, a, a time of, of widespread death and destruction, and there's just no other way to explain it. I mean, that's just, just, because of that, there'll be, there'll be all kinds of stuff going on, and maybe there'll be all kinds of fires and, and, and 
because the fire would be all, all kinds of smoke and ash rising up into the air, and, and that, that, that smoke and that ash is going to kind of block out the sun, moon, and sun. By the way, we have seen that kind of thing before from volcanic eruptions and everything else. That will kind of block out the sun and the moon and, and the stars, and it will appear as if they're just not even there anymore. Because of, of what's occurred. You, you really could probably look at the text and say, well, the text allows for that, that, for that explanation. Except for that little phrase at the end of verse 29, which says, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I, I couldn't get away from that little phrase right there. Smoke and ash just won't explain that. I think because we're talking about a supernatural God here, ladies and gentlemen... We have to look at these events as supernatural events that will literally occur. And, I, you know, I th- I'm okay with that. I think that kind of makes sense. It's God's creation. He can do with it whatever he wants. And the, the sun and the moon and the stars and, and all that's up there have always been used for the, for the glory of God. Psalm 50 verse 6 says this, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 97, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. It's, it's God's creation, and he can do with it whatever he wants. And the creation has been waiting for the return of the king, ladies and gentlemen, for a long, long time. Now, somebody might say, but uh, uh, how are we going to see if the sun and the moon aren't, aren't shining, which I, okay, I understand the moon's just reflecting. On, okay, I got all that. But how are we going to see if the sun and moon aren't shining? And start, how, how are we going to see? Okay, first off, I don't know that the text says that, that they'll no longer shine from this point on, that there'll be no more shining. It just says that they go dark at his return. So, I, okay. But, ladies and gentlemen, God gave us the sun, the moon, and the stars to declare his majesty, to display his glory, to provide light and warmth to this earth. But the sun and the moon and the stars have never been the true source of light. Maybe you've read these passages, Revelation chapter 21, referring to the time when the end of the millennial kingdom, when when the new heaven and the new earth come down and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. What? For the glory of God has illumined it, illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And there will no longer be any night. What? <laughs> and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. We're not told exactly what the sign of the Son of Man is. By the way, that phrase, Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite term for himself. So make no mistake about who he's referring to here in this teaching when he, when he talks about the return of the Son of Man. We're not told exactly what the sign is, the return of the Son of Man. But what we all are told is that every single person will see him, will see his return. All the tribes of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. It's an unmistakable event. All right, here's something else for you to chew on. Think about for a minute. Jesus' return will be unwelcome by many. 
unmistakable to all, but unwelcome by many. And that strikes me as strange. Verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. We just read that. And then, watch this, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, mourn, cry, wail, whatever you want to put in there, will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, you would think, I know I'm, I feel like I'm a fairly logical guy, you would think that the return, the coming of someone that was going to put an end to all of the, of the tribulation that the world is going to be going through up to that moment, all the terrible, terrible stuff that comes upon the earth. You would think that a guy that's coming to, to, to stop all of that, a guy who's going to come to establish a kingdom of equity and righteousness and justice and peace and prosperity, you would think that a guy like that would be welcomed by everybody. But apparently not. Apparently not. The reason is, well, some people might say, well, maybe they're, maybe they're mourning because at his appearance, it dawns on them that, that they've thrown in with the wrong camp. They've, they, they've, they've taken the wrong side. They've been following this Antichrist guy for seven years. Because he said he was going to establish this kingdom on earth that was going to be, you know, peace and, and was going to be in there. Everybody's going to do okay. And, 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 and they believed him and, and they went with him. And things hadn't been going too well lately. And at the return of Jesus Christ, it will be very clear. Uh-oh. Maybe that's why they're mourning. Because they, they, they sided with the wrong guy. But I'll just tell you, again, this is me. But I just think more than likely, ladies and gentlemen... Darkness hates light. Evil hates good. Wrong hates right. And the age of wicked men, and that's all I can tell you, that's all it is. The age of wicked men will come to an end. And they hate it. They hate the fact that God has won and that God has come and that God is establishing his kingdom on earth. Look at this very similar passage in Revelation chapter 6. I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then, watch this, when that happens, then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man celebrate it. No, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? A great preacher from a number of years ago, Vance Havner, in... in commenting on this passage in Revelation 6 said this, the day will come with the most expensive piece of real estate in the whole world will be a hole in the ground because men will seek to hide from the presence of God 
Now listen to me. For those during that tribulation period, that period leading up to where, where we are today, for those that during that time give their lives to Jesus Christ, oh, His return will be a welcome sight. It'll be like the, the cavalry coming over the hill. I mean, it will be a welcome sight. But for those who have chosen wickedness and evil, those who have chosen to reject God's love and God's grace to them, it will be a time of weeping and mourning. And it will not be welcome, as strange as that may seem to us. There's one more thought to chew on this morning, and that is this. Jesus' return will be unstoppable by any. Verse 31 And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Let me just stop right here. I know I've got to kind of wrap this up pretty quick. Um, That could be a reference to all believers, all people who have come to faith in Jesus during that time. Or it could be a reference specifically to the Jewish nation that we talked about last week that God still has a specific purpose and plan for. Either way, it means Satan's day has come to an end. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. By the way, you, when you see all these things, he's not necessarily referring to specifically to his disciples who were alive when he was teaching them this. We know that because if you go back and look at that early part of verse 24, he says, let the reader understand. So there was a clear understanding that this was a future event that people would someday read about, and live in. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let me just deal with that part first right there. Let me just say this. This is is unstoppable, folks. This is unstoppable. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody does. Satan has been trying to stop this. Since the very beginning, he's been trying to stop God's plan, which was for you and I to have a relationship with him. Personal, intimate, connected, close, grace-given relationship with him. That's what God's always wanted for you. He's never wanted a bunch of subjects, a bunch of slaves. He's never wanted... God didn't need any of that stuff. He chose to love you and me and have a relationship with us. And Satan hates that idea. We talked about that last week because he doesn't want God to get the glory for God to be worshipped. And so he's tried to stop it from the very beginning. He tried to stop it by deceiving Adam and Eve and causing them to sin and breaking their relationship. But God's plan couldn't be stopped. He tried to stop it by, by having Herod kill all of the male babies born in Bethlehem around the time Jesus was born. So that he could cut off God's anointed, the one that come to be the sacrifice. But God's plan couldn't be stopped. He tried to stop it by, by tempting Jesus to bow down and worship him when he was in the wilderness. But God's plan couldn't be stopped. He tried to stop it by finally then ha- trying to have Jesus killed by the Jews, only to see three days later that God's plan couldn't be stopped. And this, this ruling time of the Antichrist on earth will be Satan's last attempt to once and for all stop God's plan, but God's plan can't be stopped, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says as much, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. In other words, I have said this, I have declared that I'll be back, 
Long before Arnold did, I said I'll be back, and I'll be back. Can't stop it. It's going to happen. Oh, wow. Got a lot to say. Let me see. Let me go back to the fig tree. Let me go back to the, to the fig tree. There's a couple different uh, understandings or, or ways you could look at that parable. Now, a parable, if you don't know, a parable is a story told alongside of a truth to help the person that wants to, to help them understand the truth more clearly. Jesus was a master at using parables. So as he's explaining these end time events, he suddenly begins to use parables. And we're going to see more of them next week. But he says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. One interpretation of the text is this. A fig tree, like many trees, um, in the fall time it loses its leaves. In the winter time it looks dead. But in the springtime, as it begins to warm up, sap begins to draw back up into the, into the branches. And uh, later on, leaves, buds begin to appear and, and tender leaves begin to come out. And when you see that, you know, okay, I, I know it's, 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 it's springtime. It may be late spring. I know that summer's, summer's almost here. You could be in a coma for 10 years and wake up and have no idea what day it was, what year it was, what time of year it was. And you could walk outside and you could see a tree budding out its leaves, brand new, tender, young leaves. And you say, oh, I know, it's springtime. Summer's coming. Summer's almost here. The interpretation then would be in the same way when you see these events. If you're the one that sees these events occurring, these events I've been describing leading up to this, you know that the time is near. I'm right at the door. That's one interpretation. There is another interpretation that I think is worthy of giving to you, hopefully not confusing you too much. Now, um, in Scripture, in, in several places, Israel is sometimes referred to or, or compared to a fig tree, or a fig tree is used to, uh, as an analogy for the nation of Israel. You see there, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Luke, where Israel is kind of referred to as a fig tree. And so some people believe that when Jesus suddenly brings up the, I mean, just kind of, well, it does kind of come out of nowhere, right? He's talking, and he says, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. Okay. Some people say that what Jesus was saying was that in the same way that when a fig tree uh, loses leaves and it looks dead in the winter and then it springs back out again, when that fig tree blooms, you know that it's almost summertime. In the same way, the sa- this thing is going to happen to Israel. Remember, all this started because the disciples asked some questions in response to Jesus' statement when he told them, well, the temple's going to be torn down. They're like, what? All of this started because of that. And so the interpretation is that that the same thing's going to happen to Israel. And and it did, by the way. 70 AD, I already said it, 70 AD, the temple is destroyed by Titus, the Roman emperor. Jerusalem is destroyed. The Jewish people are scattered. And for all intents and purposes, the nation of Israel died in 70 AD. It ceased to to exist as a nation. That should have been, from a human perspective, ladies and gentlemen, that should have been the end of the story. Because as far as I know, no nation has ever ceased to exist for more than two or maybe three generations and ever come back into existence again. No nation has ever done that except, guess who? Israel. Which ceased to be a nation, not for one or two or three generations, but for 2,000 years, it no longer existed as a nation. 2,000 years. But in May 1948, the United Nations recognized the state or the nation of Israel. Back in the same land that they'd been kicked out of 2,000 years before. Ladies and gentlemen, that's, you can't explain that other than 
supernatural. It is unprecedented. It has never happened before or since in the history of the world. And so some people say Jesus was saying that when you see Israel reborn, when you see it come back into existence, that's the sign that the end is near. And that the generation, which could mean that that race of people will not cease to exist before his return, or it could mean the generation that is alive when he returned. Listen, either way, I'm okay with either interpretation because both of them, we can look around and, and see both in both of those interpretations that there are all kinds of signs pointing to the fact that the end is near and it cannot be stopped. Not Satan, not the demons of hell, not mankind. God says, I've said this in my word. You can count on it. Now, here we go. What does that mean for me? Does that not mm, excite you? That we could be that near the end? Does that not kind of get the, the adrenaline pumping? Maybe a shot of, listen, does that, I mean, come on. Snap out of it. Does that, that we could be that close to the end? I, I, I just, I, I'm telling you. Oh, man, I've got so much to say. Um, I, 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 don't, I, don't want, I don't want Jesus to come back and find me sitting on the sidelines. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to have my head hung in shame when he returns muttering something about I shoulda, I, I coulda, I, I woulda. Listen, I, I want to be, be full throttle, wide open, hammer down, drink a case of Red Bull going when Jesus comes back. That's really kind of what, at least part of what keeps me going. It's the fact that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. This will come to pass. I will come back and establish my kingdom. Here on earth. I'm not telling you it's going to be next week. I don't know. And Jesus didn't tell us either. He just said, here's some stuff to look for. When you see these things, know that the end is near, that I am even right at the door. Thanks, Pastor. Well, that certainly is plenty to think about, isn't it? As Pastor Clay explained, there's certainly plenty going on today that indicates that the return of Jesus may not be far off. But as we heard, even if it's longer than we think it's going to be, it doesn't change the fact that He is coming back. And what we do for Him now is not wasted, but will be used by God to expand His kingdom. As followers of Jesus, we should live with a sense of urgency knowing that He could call us up to meet Him at any second and knowing that those without a relationship with Jesus face a bleak future and eternity. God's desire to reach them should be our desire as well. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I'll 
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Q&A is, uh, if, you're, if you're new to Cross Culture, we take a question from time to time, take a question that somebody has turned in, and uh, we try and answer that question. And uh, today's question looks like this. Um, curse words. After all, is it, what does the Bible say about curse words? Now, um, I'll try and read you most of what this actually totally says. Um, hopefully nobody would be offended by this. Uh, curse words. After all, the S word is so common... And is just another word for. Um, how about other less offensive alternatives too, like some other ones, <laughs> or gosh, or freaking? Uh, so, what, what does the Bible say about about foul language or curse words or that sort of thing? Now, I think this is an issue that I dealt with uh, a year or so ago, but it came back up again, and I felt like it'd be a good time. Well, first, let's just look at a few passages of Scripture, okay, that just talk about uh, some things like this. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 22, verse 11 says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, do not let your speech cause you to sin. So certainly there's an implication that our speech can be sinful. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the context of that verse is. I didn't really study it, but when I read it, it made me think of uh, all the times I've when, when a, lot, a lot of times I've been out on a golf course playing golf and I meet somebody for the first time and, and they're just cussing up a blue streak. And then sooner or later they say, well, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. And then they start backing up and apologizing and, and all this uh, kind of stuff. So it ruins their game. If, if, you're, if you're a cusser and you go play with a preacher, you can't even play anymore. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. And there must be, you know, Paul's always just, he's just cutting to the chase. And there must be no filthiness. And silly talk or coarse jesting. We've talked about it. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with a joke. Doesn't mean, but that there is such a thing as, as coarse jesting or silly talk, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech, let your speech always be with grace. As though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So you certainly see this implication over and over again. That speech can be used uh, in a way that is unfitting for a follower of Jesus. And speech can be used in a way that is fitting for a follower of Jesus. So we're really, really getting more to the, to the heart of what we're dealing with. You see this question about, you know, and this, by the way, it's not an indictment against whoever turned in this question. Because this is how we think. But this type of, of question really is, is more what you might say is a question dealing with what, what can I do? How much can I do and, and get away with? How far can I go? You know, what's okay? What's the limit? In this case, what's the speech? You know, what can I say and not still offend God? What is really how close can I get to sin and not sin? That's really the idea behind a question like this. And I know we tend to think that way, but folks, we're asking the wrong questions. The question we ought to be asking ought to look something like this. What, what can I do to bring glory to God? 
Or in this case, what can I say that will, that will glorify God or that will bring glory to God? See, there's a difference there. Instead of thinking, okay, well, now is it okay if I do this? Or think, No, what I need to be thinking is how can I glorify God to a greater degree with my speech? Really, uh, just to wind it up real quickly, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. If, if you do this one, folks, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That simply means that if I, whatever I do in word or speech, if I do it with the idea of, uh, of glorifying God, doing it in the name of Jesus, so to speak, that if I do that, that will guide me and I'll end up saying and doing the things that are honoring to God and not dishonoring to God. And that's Q&A for today. <laughs> Turn in your questions, uh, drop them in the offering box, and we'll deal with each question each week as we uh, just walk through God's Word in a very practical way.